turning to the Psalms this morning, and Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and God willing, we'll be back in this psalm again next Lord's Day morning. We're going to read this morning from verses 1 to 18, and I want you to follow it in the scriptures and watch every word. This is a psalm by Asaph. Asaph wrote 12 psalms. The first of them was the 50th psalm. What a mighty psalm the 50th psalm is. This is the second one, and the rest of them follow on after this one. Now, Asaph was a very important man, In the work of the temple in Jerusalem, he was a prophet. He was a priest from the Levite tribe, and he was a musician. And both David and Hezekiah both employed him, and he was the chief musician. Both employed him to supply the music and the singing in the temple. And it shows how much they laid on worship. We're very light on worship in this church. And this man was in charge of that. He was, on all accounts, he was a faithful. He was a godly. And when you read this psalm, he was an honest, honest man. Some of the commentators said he was a blatantly, brutally honest man with himself. And we need to be honest with, my, with ourselves. And if you read the, when we're reading this psalm, you know that 24 times he uses the word I, my, or me. Not in a boastful way, but in a, in a way of a condemnation of himself. A humble way. And so there's plenty of feeding in this psalm. And if you meditate upon it and follow me this morning, we'll whet your appetite and give you something that God has showed us from it. Verse 1. Truly, or of a truth, God is good to Israel. To such are of a clean heart. The even is in italics there, which means it wasn't in the original. Even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. They weren't altogether gone, thank God. My steps had well nigh slipped. They weren't altogether, he wasn't down. He was near it, but he wasn't down. For I was envious at the foolish. Boy, envy's an awful dose. The rottenness of the bones. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death. In other words, they don't seem to be tied to death. They don't care about death. They seem to be loose from death. They don't think about death. I asked a man the other, about a couple of weeks ago, I have a few men down in that are some of them are alcoholics that I went to school with. And they go down now and again and they take a handful of tracks and they go round them. And I was down there about a month ago and I went to this fellow Eric and knew him from was a child and he's an alcoholic. 
And uh, I said, Eric, Eric, have you any fear of dying? Not one bit fear of dying. God help us. Not a bit, he says. So there are people like that. He says, there's no bonds in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasses, compasses them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. I'm sure you know many of that down your district. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are run out to them. And they say, how does God know? See, they're questioning God. How does God know? What does, what does God know? Is there any knowledge in him and the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world and increase in riches. And here, as for me, and you'll notice he emphasizes that, as for me, he says here, that's what he's saying there, behold, as for me, I have cleansed my heart. I have been clean as I can and I've washed my hands. I've done what I can. And for all the day long, boy, that's some phrase. You think you have a wee trial or problem now and again, it comes to you, hits you maybe an, an hour a day, and then it goes away again, and then it's gone the next day. This, all the day long, all the day long, have I been plagued and chastened every morning. This is the godly Asaph now. This is one of the leaders in the temple. All the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, or to know all this, it was too painful for me. Until, and there's the link now, that's the wee word. I preached one time a number of the untils in the Bible. Until. I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Them's in the slippery places now, not him. And casteth thou down them into destruction. And we'll re end the reading there. And God will bless to us the public reading of his own precious word. I don't know if there were such things as duvets in Asaph's day or not. But if there was, he would have well pulled round him as he breathed out this psalm. If ever there was a man on a downer, if there ever was a man entitled to a doovy day, he was. No harp now. His harp was upon the willow, and his head was upon the pillow, and his soul was in great grief. No song, nothing but sobs and sighs, as we have just read. And from the depth of his heart and an honesty which we all would need, you know, he says, I'm on a slippery slope. My feet, as for me, he's talking about himself, as for me, my feet were well nice, 
gone and my feet were well nigh slipped. I'm painfully grieved. And that's a word will be mentioned later on where he says I'm grieved. And plagued and chastened all the day long. Physically, mentally, and spiritually. This man was in the corner or in his bed or lamenting somewhere. Maybe it was some tragedy that struck him. Maybe it was some illness or sickness, maybe a terminal illness. But whatever it was, the fiery darts were hammering and barraging his mind every day. Now his problem here is a lifelong problem. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. The heart of man 3,000 years ago was the same as the heart of man today. The problem with him was, and the problem with many of us today is, understanding the morality and the sovereignty of God. Do you hear that now? There's a lot of mystery shrouded over. I had a text from a man this morning. He says, I can't understand God. Just this morning. And there's an understanding that he couldn't get of how these things all could be. How God allowed the foolish and the ignorant and the ungodly and the agnostic for their all in this and the proud and the wicked. How he allowed them to profit and to prosper while he and others were pained and plagued and languishing. Now I put it into our language. They are big mansions and big jeeps. They have abundant riches. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their hearts could wish. Look at their children. Their children prosper in education, in health. They pass the 11 plus. They get into university. Mine failed the 11 plus and they can't even get a job. They don't seem to be even sick. Sickness is never away from our home, someone says. You heard last Sunday night, the husband flat on the back, a 12-year-old with cancer, and the mother with cancer. They prosper in business and get promotion. But as for me, my job's on the line. As for me, I'm getting it tight to get the rent paid. As for me, the gas and the electric and the fuel all gone up and I don't know how I'll see the even to prosper during for the big family for the end of the year. Even even though even some of them, their families are saved and my family's not saved and I pray and I pray. This all grieved me, he said. The word grieved in verse 21 is, I'm at boiling point. With envy. I could stop here this morning and I could preach to you what the scripture says about being envy and jealous. And I hope that we get victory over that, but I'm not going to do that. And when it comes to dying, there's no fear. They seem to die, they seem to die suddenly, some of them. 
And they seem to, some seem to die in peace. I've seen men cursing God, dying in peace. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, increase in riches. Here's me, here's me. I have cleansed my heart in vain. I have washed my hands in innocence. As for me, I'm serving the Lord. I'm as innocent as I can be. I'm as, I do what I can. I'm, I'm a prophet. I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm praying and I'm singing and I'm doing what God has asked me to do. And here's what's happening to me. You ever feel like that? My hands are clean and my heart is pure and I, I'm sold out to the Lord and I'm doing what I can to the Lord. Look at me. And if you're blatantly honest this morning, you look around you many a time and you will say that and you will question and you will wonder like our friend this morning. Doesn't seem to pay to be a Christian. Doesn't seem to pay to be a believer. I pray and there's no answers. I preach and there's no souls. I pay my tax and my vat and I tithe and I rise early and I work hard and look after my family well. And just like Elijah, you're under the juniper tree. I want to give you three headings here because we're going to draw from them next week and I don't know about the week after, but this psalm has burnt into my soul. I want to give you three headings that we shall draw from in the next week or two. How that man got from such trouble to triumph. And that's the title, Sharon, From Trouble to Triumph. The first heading I want to give you is this. We see the attribute of the Almighty. He starts off with God is good. And he ends with God is good. You need to get that into your mind. God is not only good, you know, when the child passes the exam. God is not only good whenever you get a tax rebate. Why, God is good. Nearly was killed on the road today. God is good. Well, if that's all you say that God is good and he has been good to you doing that, but if that's all you can say that God is good for you, you have a lot to learn. I'll be dealing with that this week. He's on an attribute of God, of God's goodness. No matter what the situation may be, God is good. Secondly, there's the attitude of Asaph. In verse 22, he says, foolishness. So foolish was I, I was like a beast and an animal. What a statement. Foolish. Foolish. Envious and jealous over the fools. Envy and jealousy over blasphemers, atheists and wicked men and prosperous men. Envious and jealous over them. Boy, he, he was slipping all right. He was well nigh gone. 
So there's the attribute of the Almighty, the attitude of Asaph, and here's the point that we'd be hitting, the attack of the adversary. For it was relentless all the day long. Boy, he knows how to wear out the saints of the Most High God. And he knows how to hammer and let the fiery darts go and keep them going too. And mind you, when he gets a mind open and when he gets a, a people in the place away from God and away from the word and in sickness and in unemployment or something like that, he'll nail you. He'll nail you. He's a dirty foe all day long. You see, he got the servant of God in his sights and he had him wobbling, slithering and slipping in doubt. His steps were well nigh gone. And just to steal something from next week, it says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Now that's not God with him, that's him with God. I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by the right hand. I tell you, the right hand is the hand of power. And when he was slipping and when he was down, God reached out the right hand of power and lifted him. Hallelujah! Many's a day over the years, my friend, he has lifted down his hand of strength and lifted me. When I would have destroyed my family and destroyed the church and destroyed my witness, many's a day. Many's a day when we're going to do something or say something, boy, he is, he, the right hand has lifted us. Glory to God. And dear knows how many times he stretched out his hand and lifted you during the week when you were slipping and slithering and almost away. But he wasn't away. Listen, you're not away either yet this morning. The devil hasn't his foot on you yet. And he'll not get his foot on you. We're going to rise up in victory. Power. That's something for next week if you want. If you want, if you want to come back. What was it that brought this servant of God to this conclusion? When? Verse 17. Not until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I thy end. Once he got off the treadmill, once he got his eyes focused on God and focused on the things of God, once he stopped watching and listening and, 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 and envying of the world and what they had, let me tell you the best place you can do that is in the sanctuary. It's in the house of God. It's where you are this morning and should be on prayer meeting night. It's in the building. It's in the collective gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. Because the house of God and the sanctuary of God has a number of things that can turn your mind and has geared to turn our mind from the world away to God. Now I'm letting this sink in this morning. Because you seem to be feeding on it all right. Let that sink in this morning. You see, the sanctuary and the house of God is a house of praise. It's a house of praise. 
Now, it's not the number one thing. There's a list of things in the house of God, but it is a house of prayer. And that was Asaph's job. Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe he was top-heavy on the psalms and the psaltery and the harp and the cymbals. Maybe it was all praise. That's not healthy. It's anything but healthy. And there's a whole lot of places across our province this morning and I wish that we had a wee bit of worship more than we have and a good wee bit more than we had here. But I tell you this, you can't feed on singing and clapping. You out into that world on Monday morning, the courses are no good to you. No good to you. And I'm wondering, was he a bit heavy-handed on the praise and he had neglected the other? What is the other? What's the house of God? It's a house of prayer. And it's a house of preaching the word. And once you get into the house of praise, and, and the, we'll put it in order, once you get into the house of, of, of preaching the word and prayer and praise, then God will open up your mind. He'll not open up your mind reading the Vogue magazine or the Hello magazine or watching the soaps. Soaps are a place for the bathroom. He'll not open your mind because you're filling your mind with the world. Oh, look at that man's woman's dress and look at that car and look at that house and look at that. And here's me. That's what the world's geared to do. That's why God has his sanctuary and he has his church and he has his people to gather them in and to get them together into the word. That's why you're here this morning. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. When, he says, when I went in into the presence of God, the key word, one of the key words here, if not the key word, is the word understood. When I went into the place of prayer and the place of praise and the, and the, and, and the preaching of the word and the sacrifices, that was his job, to, to offer up sacrifices. He was, a, he was a priest. When he got into the, in, in and saw the sacrifices and saw the praise and, and started to pray and saw the lamb and saw the blood and saw the cross, the cross. These things, the things of earth, we sing sometimes, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I often think it goes strangely grim in the light. They should go, they should go strangely grim in the light of his glory. And of his grace. Now hold on to what you're hearing this morning. This word understand means wisdom, discernment, and knowledge. And it wasn't until he got round the word, it wasn't until he got into the place of prayer, and it wasn't until the place he got into praise and to worship, it wasn't until then that his mind was enlightened. You see, if you go on and on in the world and on and on in the world every day and doing worldly things and reading worldly things and watching worldly things, you'll become like the world and the world and the church. And the world shouldn't be in the church. 
You need to keep the world out. Trouble enough with the flesh and with the devil. Now hear what I'm saying this morning. This message was wrought out in the anvil of prayer. It wasn't until he got into the presence of God and into the sanctuary of God, then he saw. He says, I'm a fool. That's what he says. He says, I'm not a bit better than the beast when the scriptures are opened up to me and I see what God has done. And all the, I'm not a bit better than the beast, the beast that hasn't a thought of eternity. Waking up now, some of you have gone to sleep. Didn't come here to sleep. If you sleep in preaching, if you sleep in these meetings, you'd be far better sleeping at home. God has a word for you this morning. You will not understand and you will not see what's going on in the world and you will not think even of eternity and the eternal matters unless you are prepared to get into the word because that's the only place you can learn it. And in the sanctuary and in the house of God, getting together, I know you need your own times. I know all that and you can learn so much. But you need to be in fellowship with God's people. And when you come into the house of God, you need to, you need the word of God opened up to you. You need messages from heaven to your soul. You can't live without that. Boys, an awful world out there. What's going to come next? You'll hear Wednesday. It was when he went into the sanctuary, into the house of God. He says, then I understood, understood I the end. I'm a fool. I'm nothing better than a beast. He, you see, he got, once he got his eyes off the world, onto the word. I don't know whether he was in bed sick. I don't know whether his marriage or family or whatever was going on. But he says, I'm in pain. And when I look around me and see all the rest of them, it seemed to be the best and seemed to be getting on well. Seemed to have everything and I have nothing. Oh, oh, poor me. Pity party. God help you. Now, I want you to get this before we close, and I'm going to try to have you out early this morning, but I think that some of you would stay for the table if these meetings were over early, for you have a long journey to go home and then to come back at night, and I know there's many of you have to go, and I understand that. But I think that we have to get you out earlier in the morning, uh, earlier, and that you'll get home and get back, we want you to come back again. I want to say this about the adversary. I'm only touching on these headings. The adversary, the devil, saw the opportunity. And the very tactic he used is a long, long time tactic with the devil. And he used it first of all with Eve. And the way he used it with Eve to bring the fall of man was he said to have God said not to eat of every tree of the garden. 
But that was right. But you see the way he put it. But then Eve came back and she said, yes, every tree of the garden but one. You see the way he put it? Boy, the subtlety of the devil knows no bounds. And that's why you must be in the word. And that's why there are so many of God's people today and they're slipping and slithering and many of them are down and many of them gone back. And the devil comes and hammers them when they're down and out of work and sick and with COVID. He knows when to strike. He has got this man like the sheep out of the flock when the dogs come and that. I've often used that illustration. You sheep farmers will know, boy, if they can keep all together, the old dog will go round and round or the wolf will go round and round. But let one get out, man, he'll nail it. That's his game, to get one out. Not after the whole flock. He's after one. And he could well be he's after you this morning and he's just dealing with you in this very way. Something maybe happened during the week. I was talking to a woman there last week and she said, her grandchild, everybody in the school passed 11 plus but her. And she said, I was so sorry for her. Well, I said, you just watch and see the Lord has something better for her. We're all plussed up with education and everything else. Dodd's about the child failing 11 plus. You see, this is reality. And the devil's saying to this man, I said, what sort of a God are you serving and singing and working and Sort of a God is this who's restraining and restricting you. Look how good and beautiful and everything out there is. Look at what you're missing. You trudging into the temple every day and singing and praying and walking home and going about your business. Look at them in the big cars and the big jeeps and the big camels. What sort of God is that to be served? He'd done the very same thing with David when he woke up and he should have been out in battle and he had the armor on and he looked out and he saw Bathsheba. Oh, look at her. Oh. He'd done the very same thing with the Achan with the wedge of gold when they were told, don't you be touching the wedge of gold or the garment, don't touch them. Oh, Achan says, I'm touching them. He saw it, you see, and waved with it onto the tent. God's a tyrant asset. He doesn't want you to have these things. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be blessed. He wants you to have the world. And he wants you to have all these things that these other people have. And so they're not worried about death. So they're not worried about tomorrow. They're not worried about things. You're going about there panicking and walking. And slipping and slithering. Oh, what a mess he's got into. It all started, you see, in the mind. It all started when he began to think, oh, God, God, look at me. And once you get away from the family altar, and once you get away from the word and the reading, and once you get away from the sanctuary and from the church of God, you'll go down.
Oh, you might make plenty of money and you might have a big business and you might have a big car and a big jeep. But where's God? Where's God? Let in, in closing now, let me just throw out a couple of things and we'll pick it up next week. You see, the devil distorted the mind. He distorted the word. Because this man's asaph's taken everything in general. He says, look at them, look at them. But not all wicked and evil men prosper. That's not right, that's a fast lie. They're not all, they don't all prosper. Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, didn't prosper. God put him out to eat grass. He didn't say, I death shook off. No, he didn't. Absalom, the king's son, didn't prosper. He hung from an oak, from a tree by the neck and died. Old Herod and Axe, he was yet with worms. He didn't prosper. Oh, oh yes, he had plenty of this world's goods. But you see, Asaph's only looking at time. He's not looking at eternity. Asaph has all got tied up with the here and now. All got caught up with the world. Proverbs says the triumph of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is for a moment. Friend, we're not dealing with time, we're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with eternity and it'll soon be there for many of us. And we can't take anything from this world with us. The word of God is full of illustrations that I could give you this morning of getting your eyes off the godly things and onto the ungodly thing. Remember the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God and that includes Putin. And we need to pray on Monday night against this tyrant and we need to pray a scripture that I quoted here when we were dealing a couple of nights ago with Russia is coming. The scripture doesn't tell me anything about Russia coming to Ukraine, but it tells me about Russia coming to Israel. And it tells me, it tells me that God drew them in and he put a lie, a lie came into his ear. A lie. We need to pray tomorrow night that a lie will be whispered into this man's ear that he'll turn the battle in some other way and then he'll be destroyed. We have the scripture for it, for the head of Russia is Gog, isn't that right? And he's the man upstairs and he's the man at the top and I'm hearing them on the news talking about the man at the top. But a lie came into his mind. Mind you, there's plenty in it already. 
See, the Lord can just take that boy and he turn him around like this and he can bring victory out of this whole thing. Not do that with a missile. Not do that with a missile. So we have here this man, this man, and when he got into the sanctuary and got before God and got into praise and got into worship and, and got into the word and got into the, the discovering the word and the sacrifices and all that the word of God meant and all that you're taught in this place, then he began to see, he, 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 he stemmed us on the slippery slope. Boys, I wouldn't want to be in those shoes this morning. Let me close with this. And we'll be developing it next week. He says, I am clean. I am innocent. I, I am doing my best on everything. that I'm doing my work and I'm doing what I was asked to do by David and I'm doing what I'm asked to do by God. I've washed my hands in innocence. But all day long I am plagued and I'm chastened. Could I say that there was one this morning in a greater dilemma than he was? I tell you, there's one this morning in a foot not only well nigh slipped, but he went down into the deep where there was no standing. And all the waves and billows of God's wrath came over him. I'm talking to one this morning who was clean and pure and holy and innocent in every way, the Son of God. I tell you, when we fix our eyes on him and fix it on this table this afternoon, we should be the most praising and we should give thanks for the goodness of God. Oh, yes. All the day long and all the night long, I hammered him and crowned him with thorns and spat on his face and spat on his brow and all his afflictions. He was afflicted in all our afflictions. Well, might we say in closing this morning, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. It is the goodness of God that leadeth to repentance. If you're not saved here, he's good to you this morning. He's good to you that you got your breakfast. He's good to you that you wakened and opened your eyes this morning. Boy, he's good to you. He's good to you that you're not in hell already. He's good to you to give you another opportunity to come. He's good to the backslider to say, come again. Oh, the grace, the mercy, the love of God. When you're in this sanctuary and in this house this morning, where the word of God is preached and where God has used his house to preach to people and to sinners, listen, you take heed. And I trust that you will understand and you'll get a knowledge and a discernment that all is not well with my soul and that I'm a backslider and I need to come back and get away from the world and all that is offers up there because I'm going out to meet God some of these moments. And if you failed him and let him down during the week in any way whatsoever, it doesn't matter what it was, we're all a bundle of inconsistencies. Let me say to you this morning, come back. Lord's good. 
He's good in the trial. He's good in the trouble. He's good in the cancer. He's good. He can't be anything else for us as name. He's not only good sometimes. He's good. It's one of the great attributes of God. Next week, we'll see something of his goodness. And we continue on with this psalm.